with Legends of Tabletop. Today I bring you The Long Haul. This is a convention segment presented by author Ron Curry. The information contained within was very helpful for me and I hope that you find it useful as well. A few years ago I realized that the practicalities of the writing were not very often addressed either in MFA programs or at private um, conferences, etc. Um, and I, and I, I came to realize that it was a very important thing to talk about because there are difficulties in the writing life that can get in the way of getting our work done. So that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. And this will be a participatory discussion as well, so be ready to be forthcoming. Um, speaking of which, show of hands, who here is currently at work on a novel? Makes sense. Um, so one of the things that I'm interested in hearing from you if anybody wants to volunteer, this is the question I ask my students. So I teach this, this as a 10-week course. We're going to do it today in 50 minutes. Um, so one of the first questions I ask my students when I teach this course is, what is the biggest thing, and this is off the top of your head, don't think about it too hard. If somebody wants to volunteer, what's the biggest thing, single thing, standing between you and finishing your manuscript? Go ahead. You would raise your hand. Me? Yeah. Well, uh, I have a very intense uh, book to write that uh, could help many people in my situation, but I can't uh, make it light and have some humor in it too. So you're struggling with, with infusing the manuscript with humor to sort of make the pill go down, right? That's a serious problem. What about you, Self-doubt. Self -doubt. Anybody else experience self-doubt with regard to If you don't, you're in trouble. And I say that in all sincerity. If the moment you start believing that what you're doing is great, you're probably sunk. Um, but there are, there are realities with regard to self-doubt with our work that can keep us from actually getting our work done. Right. So, how do we navigate that? It's something that we'll discuss today. How about you? Self-discipline. Actually, everything seems more important than actually writing. You know, doing yeah. the dishes, starting to load the lawn. Totally. <laughs> Scrubbing the toilet is my big one. Yeah. God, that toilet needs to be cleaned right now. <laughs> for some reason, it didn't seem so urgent before I sat down to write. Um, the psychology is complex and and often sort of. Um, impalpable, you know, it's, it's hard to understand what's going on in your own head. And one of the things that we'll discuss today is being very deliberate about ascertaining those things, figuring out exactly why it is you would rather be scrubbing the toilet than writing, right? Because if we can figure out why that is, then we can take steps to sort of alleviate the problem and get ourselves to our best. So I'll start, um, I've got a little bit of a lecture here, but like I said, it is participatory, so we'll be pausing and exchanging ideas pretty frequently. Um, the thing that I want to start with is the notion that as writers, we're a tribe. Which is weird and counterintuitive because what we do, we do alone, right? Nonetheless, we are bound to one another. None of the other people in our lives, 
nor any of the people who are ancillary to the creative act. And in this case, I'm talking about editors and agents and producers and directors, of course, but also husbands, children, squash partners, bosses. None of those people are part of that tribe. They don't understand the daily experience of writing, nor the tremendous psychological toll that writing, especially in long form, takes on us. And that's just the work. We haven't gotten into considerations of everything that's attendant to the creative act, such as submission and rejections. Anybody deal with that? Right? Um, pressures on, on our time, both internal and external. And the nearly omnipresent sense that the world does not value this thing that is so vital to us. Anybody struggle with that? Yeah. Sure. Still, even though we share all these experiences and struggles in common, the thing that truly unites us the thing that is essential to our identity as a tribe is our dedication to the work. This is the one quality, the one virtue, that will see you through to the completion of your novel. Knowing this, we can quickly dispense with all the things that are non-essential, but that we worry about endlessly. Are you any good? Doesn't matter, you can get better. Have you been published? Doesn't matter, publishing isn't writing. Will you get an agent? Write the book first and let the rest take care of itself. Should you self-publish? See above. <laughs> and on and on. So as I mentioned at the beginning, most writing lectures focus on craft, characterization, dialogue, plot arc, nuts and bolts stuff that is undoubtedly important. We've all been in those discussions, right? Or a lot of us have. But that's neither the point nor the thrust of what I'm talking about today. Because I know more than a handful of supremely talented writers whom you'll never hear from. I may have dated one of these people somewhere on the line. <laughs> they understand storytelling intuitively, they write whip-smart dialogue, they're capable of first-rate linguistic pyrotechnics, but you'll never see their names on the cover of a book. And why is that? But most simply, they're not dedicated. And without genuine dedication, none of the rest of it matters. You may be able to write fantastic sentences, but it won't matter if you don't actually write them. You may have the next crime and punishment inside you, but if it stays there, neither you nor the world will ever know. Writing is ultimately and quite simply the act of writing, nothing else. Getting words on paper is the point of what we're all doing here. So to give you an example of the sort of thing that, that I see happen all the time, um, when I first started teaching this course for the first time, which was about three years ago, um, something happened that was almost a two-on-the-nose example of the sort of devaluing of our work that I want us to all fight against. Someone signed up for the course, and within a few hours wrote to tell me she had to withdraw because her husband was upset she'd spent money when they needed it elsewhere. So what I heard was, he thinks this is a frivolous expense, right? That there are other more important things to spend money on that ultimately his wife's writing was not important. That's the message. And understand, I'm not questioning her decision, and I'm certainly not suggesting she should have defied him. But this is an accomplished writer who currently is struggling to find time and motivation to write. She's published three books. It's not as though, you know, she's not, this isn't a hobby for her. And still, her husband was like, no, we need that $400 somewhere else. She saw this as an opportunity to get herself unstuck. And then that opportunity was taken within hours by someone who was not part of the tribe. So you see where I'm going with this. Um, and that should be the central focus of our efforts when writing a book, to buttress our dedication to our work and our ability to defend it and the time it takes to get it done 
against the myriad pressures to do otherwise. That and nothing else will get you to the finish line with your novel. Another important thing to bear in mind when trying to write a book is that it's labor, like any other. Too often we romanticize the act of writing, when in most important ways it's not all that different from, say, making furniture. You show up at the shop every day, you work and sweat and deal with complications and confusions, a warped piece of wood, a fastener that's too short to do its job. And in the end, if you've done your labor faithfully, you have this object. For the furniture maker, it's a chair. For the novelist, it's a book. It's no more complicated than that. And most of what we allow to get between us in a finished chair is mental static produced directly or indirectly by a romanticizing process. Does anybody do that? Then you sit down at the desk and you're, and you're like, oh, this is such a rarefied pursuit. I'm not suited for this. I'm not, I'm not built for this. Like, this is a special thing that I'm not capable of. Um, some common examples of that sort of romanticizing. One, we wonder if we're talented enough or good enough or what, what have you. The question I have is, does the firefighter lie awake at night worrying he's not talented enough? Does the barista or the mailman? After four books, countless stories and poems and screenplays, I've reached the conclusion that considerations of talent, by and large, are for dilettantes. And I really mean that. Regardless of where they are in their development or how much innate talent they possess, writers write. It's that simple. Talent in and of itself is a poor substitute for a solid work ethic and determination bordering on the psychotic. That's <laughs> true. What, what, what I'm asking of you is, is sounds so simple that it's almost reductive, right? You're probably sitting there saying, well, yeah, of course, I gotta get my work done. And yeah, of course, I have to be dedicated to it. What I'm trying to impress upon you is the level of dedication necessary to really get this done. And when I say bordering on psychotic, I'm not joking. George Orwell said, quote, just write every day of your life, read intensely, then see what happens. Most of my friends who are put on that diet have had very pleasant careers. It's a very British way of saying it, but very pleasant careers. Um, the second thing that we tend to do is compare our work negatively to that of other writers. Anybody here guilty of that? You read something that really blows your hair back and you're like, oh, I can never do that. What's the point? I'm just gonna throw my computer away. <laughs> I have actually thrown my computer across the room several times. Frustration. Yeah, it never changes. Congratulations. This is what you've chosen for yourself. <laughs> How many of you have read something that you really admire and then immediately despaired of ever writing anything even half as good? Often referred to as the anxiety of influence, it's a phenomenon that happens to all of us and is difficult to avoid. Given that in order to write well, we must not only read widely, but pay particular attention to the books we most enjoy and try to figure out how they work. I call that reading with intent. You know, you can read as a reader, and you should. Um, you can also read as a writer, and those are two different things. Um, whenever I read something I wish I had written, I try to use the energy it instills to send me to my own desk, rather than letting it intimidate or otherwise make me not want to write. Has anybody ever had that reaction? You read something that's really awesome, and you're like, I gotta write. You can sort of harness that. You can, you can turn the energy that tells you, I'm no good at this, I'm not George Orwell, I'm not Alice Monroe, and none of us are, and that's okay. Um, you, can, 
you can do a mental jujitsu where that energy becomes the thing that sends you to your desk. I do it all the time. Somebody asked me last night, actually, how do you get unstuck? How do you get out of writer's block? And I told her, I go, I find a book that I really love, and I start reading it until I'm ready to write. It's also helpful for me to think of my work as part of a continuum. I came to writing my own stories because I love reading other stories. And I was just saying to Jamal, you know, this beautiful facility here. When I was a kid, I basically lived either at the basketball court or the public library. Um, and if I wasn't at one, I was at the other. And that's where I learned how to be a writer. That's where I, that's where I figured out I wanted to be a writer in the first place. So that's what I mean, that continuum. I wanted to provide for other readers the joy, solace, and emotional stimulation that books have always provided for me. If you think of what we do as contributing to a whole, all those books out there, right? You start to understand that your readers, the people who will understand intuitively the peculiar way you see the world, are out there waiting for exactly the book you were writing. And then you stop worrying about how that book compares to others. The third thing, the third way that we romanticize writing, is we think of writing as some rarefied and mysterious pursuit rather than something accessible to anyone who chooses to submit to its rigors. And that last phrase is important, submit to its rigors. Imagining that writers get out of bed, put on their togas, and descend from Olympus to gift us with their magical words is actually kind of a roundabout excuse for you not to write. Because think about it. If we convince ourselves that writing is meant only for a select few, why should our ordinary selves even bother trying? So I'd like to ask you if somebody wants to offer um, either the examples that I, that I gave here or their own example of romanticizing process and I'm particularly interested in how those that sort of thing gets in the way of you getting your writing done. Anybody have anything? Go ahead. I think I do almost the opposite of what you said. I romanticize and try to set things up and light a nice candle so I have a scent and get everything perfect. And I spend more time kind of making an environment to write that feels like writing than writing. So, you, yeah, so it's sort of a, um, an incantation. Yeah. Right? right? You're conjuring the spirits. Um, which I think is really important, and we'll talk a little bit about, um, about habit. You know, regardless of what your habit is, if you are, and we'll get into this, but regardless of what that habit is, it might be helpful. But it might also be, what you're doing might also be akin to, does anybody ever go down the rabbit hole of research? <laughs> right, so you, you're like, I need to know something about you know 19th century New England. So I'm going to Google that, and four hours later, uh, you haven't gotten a lick of writing done. Sometimes research is important. We have to do it, particularly if if we want to ground our stories in some version of reality. Right. On the other hand, it can very much turn into an, an exercise of procrastination, and I think most of us have probably experienced that at one time or another. The key. Honestly, with all of this, is being frank with yourself about what you're doing and why. You know, in the same way that we have to be honest with ourselves about the quality of the work that we're doing and sometimes kill our darlings or admit that what we thought the book was going to be has it's actually transformed into something entirely different and that can be emotionally tough. But if we're able to be honest with ourselves about what we're doing, it's helpful. Um, and so we can, you know, sometimes get past this stuff. I don't think there's anything wrong with lighting a scented candle. Um, but is it is it a process that takes like half an hour or 
I mean, I think it's more just about, I feel like I'm setting the stage to write uh-huh. and getting that all right is somehow my mental space. And I think I probably just need to just start writing. But then does it lead to writing? So Yes, yes. So the ritual does yes. produce a mental state where you're yes. capable of getting work done. So, you know, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a huge problem. Um, but I agree with you. I think, you know, again, that is the sort of romanticizing of, of things. And I always say, like, I'm happy to write on bar napkins or, you know, a piece of cardboard. Or if I didn't have hands, I would write with my feet. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be such a stylized and, and stratified process, you know. Um, I talk about sometimes how I used to do landscaping. Um, well before I published my first book, and I would do writing in the truck in between jobs. So uh, five minutes here, six minutes there, ten minutes there, and and I would piece together my stories that way. So it also doesn't have to be a three-hour block of time that this is my writing time. This is what, although that's great, and if you can do that, you should. Um, the idea that I want to instill in you is that you can do writing in any context, under any circumstances, for any length of time. That's where it's on the page. That's what we're after. Having said that, let's get into considerations of how we organize our days. Show of hands, who here um, has a set structure for their day that includes writing time? Some of you. That's good. Does anybody want to talk about how they sort of establish that and, and, and turn it into a pattern for themselves? Go ahead. At first, I had it set up in my phone with alarms right at 10 o'clock with this, this. And then somehow um, I landed myself in a job as a crossing guard, school crossing guard, so I only worked for 30-hour blocks of time in the yeah. morning and the afternoon. That's great. Right. Yeah. Right. At the times, right? Not so much. No. 10 o'clock slipped from 10 to 11 to 12 to 1 o'clock. And, oh, my God, now I've only got an hour left. Well, that actually I found helped me because only having an hour left to get something done meant that you got to sit your butt down right now and do it. Sure. So one o'clock has finally become my go-to writing time. If I get stuff done, then you get an hour. Bonus. You get an hour. But at least I get an hour. Yeah. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, it's setting. This isn't necessarily practical for for a lot of people, but again, it's it's a question of the level of your dedication to your to your writing. I very deliberately set up my life before I published my first book so that I had writing time. I worked jobs that required nothing of me mentally and paid me almost nothing. Um, but I did that by design. I was offered you know, management jobs in restaurants. I always turned them down because I wanted that three days a week that were mine. Don't call me to come in and cover somebody's shifts because it's not happening and I would do my writing. So that's what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's not... We have to live our lives otherwise, but I think there's always an opportunity to sort of say, I'm going to be a school crossing guard. That's what I'm going to do. And and part of the reason I'm going to do that is because it affords me time every day to write. That sounds practical and doable to me and smart. Anybody else? Go ahead. So I'm definitely the toilet needs to be cleaned person. Uh, And it's everything in the universe. Like suddenly when I sit down to write this one thing, I have brilliant ideas about everything else under the sun. So I learned that I had to have only my writing tools in front of me. And that I literally had to force myself to sit in the seat. So it's like, so for me, making, 
like word goals. Like I have a friend who like busts out words like nobody's business. Yeah. And she's like, oh, what's your goal? And I'm like, to sit and sleep and like X amount of time. Like because I like I'm really good at like oh I only wrote you know 300 words today I suck and I need to stop doing you know yeah. like any goal almost became self sabotage so it was like no I'm going to sit here and I'm going to do nothing else right and what you're describing sounds to me like a wholesome discipline right which is what we're after but also giving yourself a break like beating yourself about the head and shoulders is not going to get you finished it's going to make you quit. And so you have to sort of ride that line where you're not letting yourself off the hook for getting work done every day, and you're disciplined in that regard. But you're also not, you know, tormenting yourself. <laughs> so my goal was hours. Like, how many hours actually? Right, and so right, and so another point that I want to make is that we're all going to be different in this regard, in the same way that we're all writing different stories, right? So process. A lot of times, students will ask me as though there's some sort of secret handshake. Like, how should I write? How should I write? And I say, however you write. You know, so so who, who here has word count goals on a regular basis? You're counting words, a handful of you. Um, a lot of writers do that, but it's not the right thing for everyone. For some people, it is. it should just be a matter of putting yourself in the chair, and if nothing happens, nothing happens, but you stay there for that hour or that two hours, and that's, you know, that's the discipline I'm talking about. And eventually, something will happen, right? Um, go ahead. One more. I was going to say, um, some of the best advice I ever got was to front load the week. And that takes away that whole um, get to the end of the week and feel mad at yourself that you didn't get something done. Mm -hmm. And so, I, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I really push hard. And then on Thursday, I switch gears and write on my blog. And I found out something that surprised me, and that was that my muse, if you will, I will. Res respected, <laughs> respected my borders, my, my boundaries that I had set up. Interesting. And so that on Thursday, when I start to write a blog, I got ideas for it. Uh -huh. And on, on Sunday night, I set up my plan for, for Monday, Tuesday. And on Monday, you know, Sunday night, Monday morning, the news agrees with me. Yeah. I found that fascinating. I and that's, that's that also, it also strikes me as unusual because it, because okay. this process mentally tends to be sort of unruly. Yeah, it is. You know, right. It comes to you, yeah. it comes to you unbidden at times and wakes you up in the middle of the night. And those, that's the good stuff. Like right. when the, the story's going well and you can't leave it alone and it won't leave you alone. Right. So to have that sort of mental boundary, I think is unusual and sounds like it works for you. But consider, how different that is from what you described, right? So that's the point that I'm trying to make. Like those two processes couldn't be any more different, really. Right. But they work for you. So a lot of this is, is figuring out what kind of writer you are in practical terms and what works for you as a process. And that takes time. And it also takes something that I'm gonna suggest and I'd like everybody to do for like three minutes. Um, so with regard to organizing our days, one. One recommendation that I always make to my students is to keep a writing log. Does anybody do this? Handful of you. Um, it's the same sort of thing as anything else, like for example, food diaries. Anybody ever heard of or done a food oh, diary? Yeah. Right? So the reason you do that is to get everything that's in here that's just sort of tumbling around into a concrete form that you can look at and you can appraise, and you can see patterns, and you can figure out what's working for you and what's not, rather than just saying, God damn it, I didn't get any writing done today, right? And so 
Um, what I'd like to ask you to do now, um, and this the writing log is like two lines, three lines. It's not much at all, but it is something that you want to do on a daily basis because it is about establishing patterns of the things that do work for you and the things that don't work for you, the things that get in your way, which is what I'm particularly interested in. Um, so what I'd like you to do, um, you know, if you wrote, how did it go? If it went well, what do you think contributed to that? If it didn't, why not? Maybe you didn't write at all. Put that down in your log too, okay? Um, in fact, it's probably more important to record the days when you don't get any work done. And make note of why. I can't overstate how much value my students have gotten out of the simple act of recording each day with just a couple of lines how their writing went. As with so many other things, the simpler and more obvious it appears to be, chances are the more it will benefit you. So if you put an entry in your writing log for the last day that you wrote, might have been today, might have been yesterday, might have been last week, I'd like you to write that log entry right now. And again, it's just two or three sentences. What did you get done? How did it feel? What was the quality of the work? What was happening in your life that day that, that either helped or hindered you uh, in terms of getting work done? Does that make sense to everyone? Take just a couple minutes. So how did that go? Anybody want to give us what they've got? I, yeah. Uh, last day I wrote, it felt great to reach out to two aunts. I felt happy and I shared what I wrote with my mom. And I put things in the mail. And even though it was the letters, it's like the last... It felt really good to write to them because it was... Real ideas, not just how are you, happy Thanksgiving crap. Mm. It was just like, and that's the last real writing I've done were these two letters. Um, it was just like Tuesday night. But you're working on a novel. No, I was working on, I started a novel, but I changed it to a self-help manual. <laughs> Yeah, so totally. <laughs> I mean, it just was like to the point of, oh, forget it, I'll just do this. Interesting. Who else? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I've been working on a short story that probably will end up being a novella short story. Uh, and really have a hard time nailing down point of view where the story really needs to begin. Started off from a granddaughter and now I'm going back in time and maybe somebody else would get a different point of view character. And just trying to figure out and feel out where to set it. And I think I'm on draft three or four, but this helped me realize that I did 800 words of a uh, draft yesterday. And well, the previous drafts had some really good points about them makes me realize that there is something good here. This draft made me realize that while it's going slowly, I'm, I'm just sensing a lot more depth and meaning in everything that I put down on page so far. That right. has not happened. And, in, and I think that's, this is a good sidelong example of the ways in which even just doing this once can sort of give you a different perspective on your process and what's going on with your story, right? You, you're thinking about this deliberately yeah. instead of just, again, everything just floating around in your head. like. Like, is it going well? I don't know what's wrong with it. Like, none of that thought, thought process is helpful. What's helpful is to get concrete things down on a page that you can look at and say, okay, this is the problem. This is what's going on. And this is maybe a way in which I can deal with it. Right? Go ahead. One more. 
I'm taking all these classes and conferences, but I'm not actually sitting down to write. Uh -huh. I need to structure my life in such a way that I can up at 5 o'clock and write for two hours before I start work. I am learning a lot, but I need to, in all capital letters, do the work. That's absolutely right. And I'll tell you one thing. I, my writing days, the, the form, the shape of them change, usually like on a six or eight month clock. Um, my latest pattern is to get up sometimes as early as three o'clock in the morning to write, and I don't I don't have to go to another job. Part of the reason I do that I started doing it by accident because I couldn't sleep. But what I realized was um, there's a quality to the stillness at that time of day that it's not that nobody interrupts me; it's that nobody possibly could. Um, so so for me that time of day is a great time to write. I tend to be much more productive. Um, I tend to be much more calm and much more engaged with the work because I'm not thinking about 16 other things. So that sort of distraction can be, you know, problematic for us, especially, you know, think about all the distractions that are that abound these days and that we all sort of subject ourselves to willingly, right? Jonathan Franzen, regardless of how you feel about him, one of the things that he does, well, this was back when you actually had to plug a computer in to get on the internet, but he would put super, he would buy a computer and put super glue on the internet for it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Like he's actually destroying a brand new computer so that he gets his work done. So, um, okay, let's move on a little bit. Another thing about organizing your days, uh, I want you, and this sort of jives with what we're just talking about, I want you to treat your writing like the job that it is. Don't do it in your pajamas and don't do it in bed. Get dressed and go to work, even if your office is just another room in the house. Even better, a writing shed in the backyard. The shared creative workspaces that have cropped up all over the place in the past decade. Do you have those sorts of spaces here? That's sort of a co-op almost? Those places are great. Um, or even a favorite coffee shop. The idea is to put your brain in work mode the same way people do when they perform a regular job. Get up, get dressed, go to work. It's a very simple thing that you can do, and I think you'd be surprised if you don't. If you don't go through that process, try it, and you'll see that it's sort of like, it's sort of like um, putting a horse in yoke, or, or um, you know, like, a, anybody ever watched The Dog Whisperer? Remember that show? So you would always put these little, these little vests on the dogs that had pockets, and you would put bottles of water in the pockets, and, he, and the way he described it was that it put the dog's brain in work mode, and it made them more disciplined, and it made them just go. It's the same sort of thing, it's a trick that we can play on ourselves. So that's sort of what I'm talking about. Uh, also, and we talked about this a little bit with your example of the incantation, pattern and habit can be powerful tools for getting your writing done. If you're a creature of habit, make a habit of writing. Same time, same room, same chair, same desk, same pen, same lamp, same everything. On the other hand, and again, this speaks to everybody's process is gonna be different. Some writers benefit from upheaval. Does anybody here, Need chaos? Yeah. Um, Jack Kerouac rode on the road in six days, high as a kite on Benzedrine. John Kennedy Toole wrote a confederacy of dunces in the grip of great personal failure and burgeoning schizophrenia, which I would not recommend to anybody, but the point is, <laughs> if, the point is if you're a chaos writer, so be it. This is the level of dedication I'm inviting you to consider, that your work can ultimately be more important than your life. The stories you want to tell are unruly and chaotic, and it's probably helpful for you to write those stories the same way. Piecemeal, 
bar napkins and store receipts, and stolen moments when you're supposed to be working or paying attention to your kids. The point, ultimately, is to ascertain what kind of writer you are, organized or disorganized, deliberate or impulsive, and then play to your strengths, setting your life up in a way that best serves your work and inclinations. So we sort of touched on this a little bit, but I like to think about it a little bit more deliberately. Is your life set up ideally to support your work? And if not, what do you need to change? Anybody want to talk to that a little bit? Go ahead. I kind of have the opposite problem. My, I write best in chaos. My life has gotten too calm. Oh. <laughs> it makes it difficult. You could go rob a convenience store or something. That would probably <laughs> shake things up a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't have any specific sort of prescriptive suggestions for that sort of thing, but, um, you know, maybe... I have a question. Go ahead. One of the things I've been trying to do, well, I've got two projects started that are totally different than anything I've ever written. Mm -hmm. That feels a little bit chaotic. Yeah. And then and they sort of get the atoms bouncing off of each other, right? That's what I was going to suggest, is that it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be running your life into the ground. It can be as simple as a shift in perspective, right? So does everybody remember the, the movie um, Dead Poets Society? Yes. So you remember when he makes them do that silly exercise where they have to stand up on top of the desk and take a look around the room because it, it lets them see the room anew? That can be a form of chaos, is changing your perspective on your work, and you can do it a hundred different ways. So like, um, you can you can have a software dictation, read it out loud to you, you can read it out loud to yourself, you can set, you can typeset it, you can actually do that on your computer now. You can typeset it as though it's set up for a book and read it that way, you can change the font. Like anything you can do to change your perspective on the work. Because one of the things that we generally struggle with, especially when we start getting into the weeds with the novel, is we can't see it anymore kind of go snow blind, right? You have no idea what the story is or if it's any good. Changing perspective can be a huge tool, a huge help in, in dealing with that problem. Um, so that's something worth thinking about. Um, something else that I want to discuss is accountability. Anybody struggle with accountability to themselves? I'm going to get some work done. doesn't happen, right? The plain fact is that most people aren't natural self-starters. The majority of us struggle to get things done over a long timeline without someone looking over our shoulder. So what can a writer do? Simple. Find someone to look over your shoulder. <laughs> Other writers specifically, as opposed to your family or friends, who probably have neither the critical acumen to judge your work nor the emotional distance to tell you the truth about its quality. Find fellow writers, set up a schedule of word count expectations and regular meetings, and use each other for accountability. I have a lot of students who have done this. It can be a powerful incentive to have someone waiting for you to produce words, and moreover, given that writing is such a solitary pursuit, and we are by nature social animals, even if you don't need help with motivation, a writer's group can help get you away from your desk and into the company of like-minded people who value writing as much as you do. I often lament that I didn't have this kind of companionship when I was a kid, furtively writing stories in the privacy of my bedroom while other children whooped and hollered and played Obermann Derby in the streets. As adults, we like to tell ourselves that we're more resilient and self-assured than children, but the fact is we need affirmation and commiseration as much as anyone, particularly if we're going to try something as difficult and isolating as writing a novel. 
And so I want to ask, does anybody have experience with writer's group, in a writer's group right now, and has it benefited your practice? Um, anybody want to talk about that a little bit? Go ahead. I'm in a critique group that meets every Thursday, and we can submit 10 pages to each other every Thursday. Can or have to? Excuse me? You can or you have to? can, and okay. I make sure that I have my 10 pages every week. And would you, if, if not for that expectation, do you think? I would try really hard and <laughs> yeah. accountability. Right. It's a big help for a lot of people. I've had a lot of students who, I do this, this class privately, so I'll have, say, 10 or 12 students and we'll do the 10 weeks, and then almost inevitably, at least half of them will break off into their own writer's group because they've come to understand that having that, that weekly expectation and the companionship of people who are engaged in the same really difficult thing that they're doing is hugely beneficial for their work. So we shouldn't underestimate. If you're not part of a writer's group or you haven't done it before, I think talk to somebody who is, because I think by and large they will tell you it's been a huge help for me. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is failure. It's going to happen over and over every single day. It's inevitable. So get used to failure and stop fearing it or using it as an excuse to not write. Even more than for the rest of humanity, failure is a novelist's daily bread. At the moment of conception, a novel is perfect. Does everybody have this experience? You get the idea and you're like, that's, oh, that's going to be good. <laughs> and then you start writing it. With each line you write, it becomes more and more flawed until you write the end and realize you have to start working on fixing every micro-failure along the way so that the thing you spent the last four years creating less closely resembles a steaming pile of dog shit. <laughs> Does that sound like hyperbole? Does it sound familiar? It's not hyperbole. Every good book you've ever read began its life as a loosely connected series of dull scenes and half-baked ideas all recorded with the syntax of a fifth grader. This is the wellspring from which great literature is born. Not very glamorous, not very glorious. In fact, one of the surest ways to gauge whether a writer will have a long career is to ask how well she deals with having done terrible work. How capable she is of the labor and faith necessary to make it better. So I want to ask you, how well do you fail? Can you accept and work beyond the inadequacies of your first drafts, or do you get bored, frustrated, and fatigued? Do you follow a draft through to the end, or do you give up and start something new because that's more exciting? Anybody want to talk to that a little bit? Do we have people here who start new books, and they get about 50 pages in, and they're like, I have this other idea that seems a lot more appealing all of a sudden. Yeah, go ahead. Well, when I'm writing, this is actually the first time I ever did an outline. <coughs> but the first time I was writing this, last, about last month I decided it was all wrong. I needed to change the main character. And I put it aside and started something else. And I waited for that to get ugly, and I hated it. it yeah. was the original <laughs> thing. But usually when it gets ugly, there's always some other idea that's yeah. sitting out there. Well, that actually kind of works if it sends you back to the other, because we do have to set our manuscripts aside sometimes, right? Like when you go snow blind, you can't see it anymore. Um, other people's eyes aren't helping. Sometimes the only thing you can do is put it aside. And then you take two months, three months, four months, and, all, and you go back to it, and you have the experience of, 
I, I read my books and I don't even recognize them as my own work anymore. I mean, I have my, my first book came out in 2007. I don't know those stories anymore. So, so we gain perspective through time. And so if you can pinball back and forth between projects, that could actually be an effective strategy for you if it, if it sends you back to that thing rather than just a conga line of new projects that you never finish any of them, right? You have a conga line. Yeah. Successfully queue up those ideas so you don't lose, you know, which is probably a good premise, you know, but also don't get sidetracked by it. Uh, I'm not quite sure I understand if queue up the. Well, it, I mean, it, as a creative person, you know, you, you get story ideas, they, they hit you, but yeah. like you say, you need to pay attention to the draft you're working on. Do you have a system like a notebook, a journal? How do you keep track of the fresh ideas that you might want to go to after you finish the first? Yeah, I'll write them down. Um, but. Um, Staying focused is, it's different depending on what I'm working on. So I do screenwriting as well. Um, the, the, the sort of the immersion and level of concentration necessary for a novel is um, much greater than it is for screenwriting. So I can juggle screenwriting projects with maybe a little freelance work or what have you. If I'm working on a novel, generally speaking, I have to be working on that. Um, so it's a little bit different, but but regardless, if I have a, an idea that I think has heat, I'll put it down somewhere, and and sometimes it'll pull me away. Sometimes, you know, we don't always get to choose what we write at any given time. I, I tend to demystify. Obviously, I demystify the writing process, but I, but there is even though it's not mystical, it is mysterious, right? And then we don't always know what's happening or why, we sort of have to follow our instincts. And sometimes stories will present themselves to you and say, hey, this is the thing you need to be doing right now. And it's a, they don't really care whatever it is you might have been working on up to that point, right? So, I mean, you, you, again, it, it boils down to, to knowing yourself and being honest with yourself. So if you have an idea that really has heat and it feels super urgent to you at this moment, that's probably what you should be writing. Which is not to say that you should give up every time it gets difficult and go on to some, it's like, you know, trading in spouses or something like that um, when things get boring. A nice I'm sorry? A nice big thing. Um, actually, we're going to be doing questions. We're almost out of time, too, so. Um, um, I, you know, this is about my big um, um, experience of being shut down of saying some very important things and realize you have to get through the hearing. But I do not understand why, uh, you know, people haven't recognized what I have to say. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I mean, I am opening it up to questions, but not to monologues necessarily. Um, do you have a question that you wanted to ask? Well, uh, I asked you a question and it was just, you know, it seemed like you couldn't answer it. And on accountability, I have not been able to write for over a year. You know, I lost a dog 20, 20 years and I am dealing with a friend who has pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And my accountability now is that I'm seeing a minister he said, I said, how many times can you see me? And, and he said, every time you have a chapter. Uh, oh, well, that's good. Especially if he's a man of thought. I mean, there's accountability is accountability, but then if you're talking about uh, the clergy, it's a different kind of accountability. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you found somebody. 
but I would also recommend probably a writer's group. You know? That's great. Um, so that's just about it for us. If anybody has any questions, we get about five minutes. If you have any questions you want to ask, go ahead. I don't know if this is a five-minute question, but just kind of ideas on how to change your perspective. I mean, I've got a book that I've been working on in my head. It's a wonderful, you know, pod. It's a wonderful everything. But then I get into it, and then I just get so hung up. I stop, you know. Do you get bored? Pardon? Do you get bored? I don't get bored. I just get, I'm going to go next. Yeah. Um, who was it that was saying you started? You did an outline for the first time. Yeah. Did that help you? Was that helpful in getting past that point where you tend to turn away from something, like yeah. structuring it in advance? Yeah. Even though that's not where I'm going, sort of, but I know where I'm, I know there's an endpoint. Yeah. But I'm sidetracking a little bit, but I'm getting there. So maybe that's have you tried? Have you tried outlining before? Maybe if you game it out a little bit in advance, that might be helpful. That would be the first thing I would do. Um, yeah. And it just um, writes itself. Sure. Then trying to write a book is, is it's a much bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Uh, speaking to that, uh, there was somebody that I uh, was following for a while online, and she was saying when you're writing a novel and you get to one of those points where you just go, what happens next? One thing you do want to look at your characters and, and seriously consider what would this person and, and you know, in this situation, what would their instincts be? Sure. Still don't know. And knowing your characters. Right. If you still helpful. don't know at that point, you probably have some ideas on where the character is going to wind up later in the story. And they might even have ideas for specific scenes. Go ahead and write those scenes. Yeah, and you can, you can skip ahead. I actually, so my second book, um, I actually wrote. I wrote it to the point where the book was three quarters of the way finished, like as a manuscript, but the story was over because the world had come to an end. <laughs> and I was like, sort of painting myself into a little bit of a corner here. So what I would invite you to consider too is, is crazy alternatives, you know what I mean? Like this, this is fiction, we're supposed to be sort of hanging our butts out on the wind and, and making, making bold decisions about storytelling. So, you know, be bold. Be, be a little bit crazy and might help you break out of it. Go ahead. I really struggle with the part after the writing, which is the promotion, yeah. uh, you know, promoting your own work, trying to find an agent, querying, having any excitement or motivation to do that. Yeah, self-promotion is a bear. It can be. I, I'm not inclined toward it naturally myself. Um, I think a lot of us aren't. I mean, we're sort of, I mean, we're weird people who like to spend most of our time alone. Like, we're not generally good at, at running out there and, and extolling our own virtues and, and talents, you know? I mean, what, what you're asking about is sort of different things though, right? Like finding an agent is different from putting a bunch of books in your in your trunk and going to, to a reading that you set up yourself, you know what I mean? Like that's, there's sort of different processes even though they can feel the same in terms of, I don't want to do this, this is my natural inclination, et cetera, et cetera. Um, ultimately, my ethic is, I don't really care about all that stuff. Not, not enough to spend too much time thinking or worrying about it. I care about the work. And I do, I, I mean, there's all sorts of things that I can tell you about, you know, the practical aspects of approaching agents and, and trying to find representation. It would take a lot more than the two minutes we have left. But, but, um, but just generally speaking, I have faith in my work. 
that it will find its way out into the world if I do it faithfully and well. And that's been my experience. So it's not as though it's just this naive idea that I have. It's actually worked. So, go ahead. Yeah, I, uh, I recently um, reread Misery, yeah. the book with Stephen King. And um, his experience in that room, I almost grew envious of because he had a lot of time to write. He was under pressure. And, and I thought of almost Danny Wolf's character as a muse. Yeah. Um, is there, but within that, it was, it was uncomfortable. And I'm one of those candle people. Um, and I was wondering, is there a way to like, work out that muscle of guerrilla writing? Like going into uncomfortable environments and trying to write there? Sure. But, I mean, what if you're not naturally inclined to it? Can you, can you, you know, build a callus? <laughs> Have you encountered that with your, uh, with your students? Um, not really. It's sort of an interesting question. Okay. I, I've never really given it that much thought, although you're absolutely right about misery. Has everybody read misery or at least familiar with the, the outline of the yeah. story? Yeah. Um, I must have read that book 25 times when I was younger. And you're right. It's set up, in, I mean, there's an author that's being held prisoner in a woman's house. And she's forcing him to resurrect a character that he killed off in one of his books and write about her again. Yeah. It's actually a perfect setup for getting work done. I know. <laughs> it's supposed to be horror, but I thought it almost like a fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Except, but you know, she cuts off his foot. Other than I really like the idea of putting yourself in environments that are uncomfortable before you're trying to get work done. Like, that's sort of a chaos thing, right? Like, like go sit at the bus station and try to work. You know? like, <laughs> Um, I like that idea, but it's never something, it's not something I've given a whole lot of thought to. Um, I think that's all the time we have. Thank you all so much for coming. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.